Good morning. Hello, good morning. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Even if it's a bad day, it's still a good day. That sounds like a very Bill Bain type of response. It does, right? It does. Yeah, he came to the office this morning and he brightened my day. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Welcome to another episode of Disciple Life, the Bible, and Everyday Life. Today, uh, our pastor is with his family enjoying uh, spring break. And so I had the privilege of filling the pulpit. And today, our chief antagonist, uh, her, <laughs> yes. her self-proclaimed title, Sydney Weil, is oh, wait. back. You said antagonist, right? Yes. Okay, good. Self-proclaimed. <laughs> okay. So, take it away. Today you're hosting and I'm just answering questions. Aye, aye, Captain. All right. So, you started, you went out the gates with um, sin is the problem that we all face. Um, and Jesus is the solution that we all need, right? Um, and then, a few minutes later, you went into Romans 1. And I think it was verse 18 down, but it's talking about the unrighteous and the ungodly. And how God has revealed himself in creation and so that everyone will be without ex without an excuse. Um, and so because everyone is um, going to be without excuse, we all have a decision to make. Um, and you, you kind of keyed us into three, three different decisions that people make. And so we have discipleship, uh, disbelief, and um, indifference. For the unbeliever... Why is it so uncomfortable and hard to choose to be a disciple of Jesus? That's a wonderful question. Um, I think everything starts with the text that Pastor Dan asked me to present to the church yesterday. In that, if you remember a week ago, uh, yesterday, so now seven or eight days, depending how you count it. Um, he taught through an ancient hymn of the church that highlights Jesus as the crown of creation, the means, the source, and the sustaining of all creation, uh, right? Through him, by him, and for him, all things have been created on earth, above the earth, under the earth, and therefore there's nothing that he does not have a claim to uh, being king, the legitimate king in all creation. And so my text follows on the heels of that and basically says, we needed to be reconciled because we rebelled against God and God in his mercy reached out to us, Paul himself, including himself in that language, and he has reconciled us. And so it's almost like a tongue twister. We, he reconciled us because we needed to be reconciled and he reconciled us. Yeah. So three times making this point of we have been brought back into good or right standing with God. Uh, and that in itself presents the problem. What is the first condition to reconciliation? The first condition to reconciliation is that there's estrangement between two parties. What has separated us from God, that is estrangement is we sinned. As a human race, we sinned. And, and so people find it uncomfortable um, especially the unbeliever, uh, the person who denies that there is a God, an atheist, or the people who doubt that there is a God, an agnostic. Um, it's uncomfortable because we need to come to understand who we are at the core of our being. Now, 
compared to what a lot of people may say, well, we're basically good. So who are we at the core of our being? We're sinners. And, and that applies to the man who preaches from the pulpit, to the man who sings uh, the worship songs, all the way down to the youngest person in the congregation. We are all sinners. And that is the reality of who we are, not because... Um, not because simply, it's not saying this, well, I killed somebody, therefore I'm bad. No, I'm selfish. I seek to preserve myself. I seek to do things my way and not anyone else's way. That is a mark of our sinfulness, that, that we are so self-centered and self-seeking that we do not seek to do things outside of what benefit us or what benefits me, to make it very personal. So what makes it uncomfortable is that in order for us to receive the gift of the gospel, which is eternal life, yeah. we must first repent. Well, you cannot repent unless you know what, what's wrong. Yeah. And that means we come to the keen awareness, meaning it's made very clear to us through the text of this book, whether it's the LSV, ESV, NASB, whichever, um, that I have a problem and it's called sin. I have offended a holy God simply because I am human, because we believe and teach the doctrine of original sin so that the Adam and Eve, their action in the garden affected the way that we perceive the world, act in the world, the way that we relate to people, uh, the way that I relate to people that are very meaningful to me, like my good friends, such as you, my dear wife, there's always conflict there from time to time because she has her own point of view, I have my own point of view, my children, etc. So that's what makes it uncomfortable. We need to understand that we sinned against a holy God. And no one likes to hear you're deficient or you're not, you're not measuring up, especially when it comes to God. Hmm. Okay, that was a good answer. Um, okay, so we recognize there is a problem, and we have decided to be a disciple of Jesus and put our faith in Christ. Right. Okay, you said um, to be rooted in the person who died for you. Right. My first question is, what does it look like to be rooted in the person that died for you? Well, we need to make it clear, Christianity has a very exclusive claim. Christianity claims... Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. He lived a sinless life, a perfect life that we cannot ever live. Um, he took a penalty for the sins of the world, as the, the Bible testifies, that he did not deserve. And he did it without complaining. So that those who confess their sins, those that repent and believe may experience the opposite of what Jesus was dealt with by mm -hmm. taking in the full wrath of his Father, the yeah. full wrath of God. So that where he was accused, where he was found guilty, where he was found um, even as perfect as he is and was at the moment of the crucifixion, he took on the full punishment that he did not deserve. Yeah. So that when you, Sydney, myself or anyone hearing this or watching this, when they repent of their sins, all of those sins were, were atoned for at the cross. 
since that had been committed and since that would be committed because that is the full redemptive power of God. It's not just some of the redemptive power. It's not just 50%, 25%. But in the atonement of the cross, Jesus paid for all sins for all time for those who would repent and believe. And so that's, that's what it means to trust in Him and to be rooted in Him is that because of our awareness, one, that we are sinners, we cannot attain eternal life on our own power. And second, because we live under this understanding that it is by God's power, by His grace, by His mercy and His love that we can carry on this mission of life that He's given us. It means that everything we think everything we say, and everything that we set our hearts and our minds to do is done for the glory of God. That means, and I, and I, I really hope to encourage people and encourage you as well, if God lays it on your heart, and, it's, and, you, and, and, and you know it's God because it, it aligns with His Word, you know, I really want to be a lawyer. I believe God gave me the understanding to be a lawyer. Then be the best lawyer you can be, knowing that whenever you go and you practice law, you don't do it just to get a, a nice paycheck after every case. Uh, you don't do it for the sake of winning, which winning is nice, but at the same time, you do it to the glory of God. That means you treat people fairly, you carry yourself with integrity, you seek to, to practice law in a way that... Um, helps those that do need help, but also in a way that helps to bring restitution for the off any offense. Uh, same goes for teaching. You teach people for the sake of knowing that each person that you have under your care, whether they're little babies uh, in a nursery or college students and graduate students at a university, that they are the reflection of God's creative power. They're, they bear the image of God. Um, in, in, in any profession, to be rooted in Christ is to approach everything as an act of worship that leads to Him in, in gratitude for His death for you. Hmm. That was really good. Well, hmm. you have good questions. I'm just trying to give the best answer I can. <laughs> okay. Okay, so we become a Christian. Our faith is in Christ. And our faith is not our own. It, it, we go out and we share the gospel. Um I feel like a way that we do that is being an active part in the body of Christ. Um, that being said, what does it look like to be a healthy part of the body? What does it look like to be a healthy church member? Well, um, for one, you need to be a Christian. Yeah. Uh, and something that I would encourage our, our audience, uh, whether it's video or whether it's uh, audio only, you have to, to start with a true assessment of who you are. The Bible says, test yourself that you be found in the faith. And if we are to test ourselves, it means that we cannot say, well, I was brought up in Texas, and therefore I'm a Christian because yeah. I was brought up in Texas, and everyone in Texas is a Christian. That's a fallacy. Uh, by the same extension, you cannot say, well, I was born in the good old USA, and therefore I'm a Christian because the USA is a, it's a Christian nation. Um, I will say this, and like Pastor Dan has said the last couple of uh, videos or recordings, um, any complaints, you can send them to carlos at fbcdivine.org. 
be happy to address those. But there are no Christian nations. A nation cannot be of its own accord Christian. Now, granted, we, we do work under a theocracy in the church, meaning Pastor Dan here, being the lead pastor, is not the leader of the church. He's the under-shepherd to the leader of the church, Jesus Christ. And so we all follow him because we trust that as we study the Bible together, God is leading him to lead us. And so that's, that's how that, that, that's aligned. So there are no Christian nations. We have under-shepherds who serve the great shepherd, and we all have a calling to be uh, ministers of our own right because we have been saved into a kingdom of high royal priests and priestesses. So that means that you, my dear sister, you have every responsibility to go and discharge that office. So that's that's one consideration to have there. The second consideration is this. And by the way, there are wonderful books by Mark Devers with nine marks. There's also uh, wonderful books that have been put out also by... Um, uh, Liveway resources, Christian resources on church membership and what does it mean to be a healthy church member. And so I would recommend those. Um, they're not paying us anything to do that. So I'm just saying it because we've read them and we use them here at the church. Yeah. Um, so what does it look like to be a healthy church member? Number one, you have to be a saved uh, believer, a born-again Christian, not by baptism. The water does not save you, mm -hmm. but you repent of your sins you confess your sins to God, and you believe that He is He is who He says He is. He is the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and end. And He's the one who died for your sins in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. Second, you uh, study the Bible. Uh, there's there's a, a horrendous um, statistic that says that for most Christians in the United States, and this was published by Barna, the Barna Group about a year ago, if I'm not mistaken, that says that regular Bible reading is not practiced by more than 20% of Christians, and that's just U.S. Um, so that means that if you are going to be uh, calling yourself a Christian, you need to study the Bible. Uh, the problem also comes from we don't hear God audibly. Uh, if you hear God audibly and you're not going to a church, there's a there's a problem there. Big problem. Uh, there's a big problem, and and that this is a theological statement. We can even get into the into the ramifications some other time of maybe potential health mental health issues. Um, but you cannot say that you're a Christian and not study His Word. Because once God gives you that, that, once the Holy Spirit seals you by indwelling you, you're going to have a hunger to, to know what the Bible says. Because the Bible tells us how God from the very beginning, to a question you were just raising in private, God from the beginning intended to deliver us through the sacrifice of His Son because He knew that Adam and Eve would sin. He knew that Adam and Eve would choose to fall away. And he was not caught off guard. And so we see there that even from the beginning of, even before the creation of all things, Jesus, the incarnate son, was to come and save us. There is no plan B. Why? Because in the presence of evil, in the presence of suffering, it is the living God that shows his grace, his mercy, his love, his compassion for us when he takes on flesh when he lives a perfect life, even though he never sinned, I mean, human, yet never sinning. And then he goes like a, a lamb to slaughter, 
not saying a word, yeah. not defending himself. And so that's important. So you read the Bible. You become a Christian. You read your Bible. You gather with believers. Okay? And I know that this is a part where people really struggle for whatever reason. Uh, hold on. Give me one moment. There we are. Making sure that no one is falling asleep. Um, we cannot say that we are Christians and then not be part of God's family on a regular basis. And that's a problem that people either don't want to see or that is a, um, a, a stance of people who have been hurt by the church, yeah. which is very sad on both cases. But we must have an understanding that if we have a faith that is not of our own making, but the gift of God's Holy Spirit to us, because it is the Holy Spirit that takes off the scales of our eyes and we can see clearly the spiritual reality of, of this of this world, then we know that we need to be with those who are of like faith to us. Uh, I'm not saying in this case that you, oh, well, I feel like a Methodist, I'm going to go be a Methodist, or I feel like a Baptist, I'm going to go be a Baptist, or a Pentecostal, so I'm going to be a Pentecostal. What I'm saying here is, if the Holy Spirit has saved us, and He has sealed us, then we are called to gather ourselves to a church that teaches the Bible without, uh, as, as, as much as possible, without any inclination to any one particu particular view. Mm -hmm. But just teaching the Bible plain and making the main things the main things. Beyond that, we also serve, right? We are given a heart of gratitude, and gratitude is best expressed in serving others because we see the value of how someone may help us along the way, and we want to reciprocate that to others around us. Teaching children, if that's your gift. Um, hospitality, which is a mark of, a, of, of the Christian faith. Opening your home to Bible studies or to just have fellowship with other believers. Um, acts of service, food distribution, serving the poor, serving the elderly, uh, serving each other when the, there are services at the church, etc., Another healthy mark of a healthy church member uh, would be contributing to the ministry of the church. And I know that for some pastors, it's a touchy subject. And then you have the opposite spectrum where pastors say, give me all the money you got and God will bless you. God loves a cheerful giver. And we know that if God puts it in your heart, hey, we need to support the ministry of this church. Support it to the best of your ability. If all you can give is $10, praise the Lord. $10 that will go to, in the case of First Baptist Divine, uh, you have pastors who are available to you to support you. You have a number of mission causes, international, national, state, and local. Uh, you also are uh, giving money to support the training of local missionaries, hence the team that's going to Kentucky, or the teams that go and do Mission Divine, which is a um, local mission project, a whole week, the first week of June, uh, etc. And so, you support the church, not because of the pastors, not because of anything else, but because they teach the Word of God and they do it faithfully. And I would say lastly, um, you're informed and actively helping to lead the church. Now, this gets into church polity, and some churches have elder leadership. What is church polity? Uh, that's the, how the church runs its own internal governance. Okay. So the politics of oh, church, if you okay. would. So... Some churches have co congregational uh, leadership, such as we do here. Other churches practice elder-led. 
And so that's where you have the pastors and elders of the church recognized as through the standard of the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And then they lead each other. And so the Bible tells us that we should eagerly seek to attain to the to the to the to the higher gifts. That's what Paul tells us. And so be a teacher. Be a, if, if God is calling any man to be a, a pastor, surrender your life to ministry. If, if God is calling you to be a missionary, be a missionary. But it starts by being a healthy component of the church. I, like I told people uh, a week ago on Wednesday, you cannot expect to be called to go internationally on missions if you're not going down the street to share the gospel with someone in your own town, in your own, on your own street. Um, you have to be doing it here already so that God may show himself to be faithful with you and through you going beyond uh, your Jerusalem, if you will. Mm, that's good. That was a long answer. Do you have anything to add? Uh, no, I really I just I love the fact that it's like if you're called to be a pastor, if you're called to be a lawyer, if you're called to be a janitor, if you're called to be this, that, this, that, it's like... You do your job faithfully and even for the sake of losing your job for the sake of the gospel. And right. I just, that kind of goes along with what you said in your sermon, the illustration of, here's my blank contract, sign it, here you go. <laughs> and, and I have to give credit with where credit's due. That Pastor Dan's used that uh, metaphor uh, almost for an, a year and a half, two years. And it's a wonderful illustration. And, and I know he borrowed it also from... Miracle, uh, Miracle in the Mountains, or Miracle on the Mountains, which is the book about the couple that founded Maritza Ministries in Kentucky. Oh, yeah. And so... <laughs> I thought that sounds familiar. The idea is that if we come to God to get something um, that is not necessarily himself alone, then we're doing Christianity already wrong. Um, if we come to God saying, Lord... You're enough. Here am I. Send me. Uh, and that's quoting the prophet in the Old Testament. I believe that's the prophet Isaiah. But rather, we we should also come and, and see the, the life of Peter, who was a rebel through and through, and who just, you know, cursed the Lord, uh, went back to fishing, and apparently lacked success in that. Because if you remember, he wouldn't catch any fish until Jesus said, cast it on the other side. Um, we need to be okay with simply being reconciled, again, coming back to that concept, and saying, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love mm. you. Um, and just wherever he leads us, we go. I feel like that speaks a lot into the person that's like, my faith is in Christ, but I... I don't know if I'd be willing to lose my career for that. Right. And it's coming back and being reconciled with Christ. And so, and I think that's a wonderful point because in the last several weeks, Pastor Dan and and it seems like the, the, the pastoral team here at the church has been dealing with the constant struggle that comes from secular versus sacred mm -hmm. uh, and, and how here in the United States, we have been given a bill of goods that says, if you work hard enough, you sacrifice enough, and if you are willing to go the distance enough, then you will have the American dream. You'll have the house of your dreams. You'll have so much money in your account. You'll have a happy wife, happy children, and you know, you'll know you have the stereotypical family, two and a half children. 
according to the Census Bureau. Mm. Um, I don't know where the half comes from, whatever. But the idea is we've been told if you if you just work hard, you can have this amazing uh, accumulation of wealth. The Bible does not, and I even mentioned this yesterday or on Sunday because I want to be conscientious of the audience. On Sunday, what I did say was God is our all. And if we come before anything else, then we need to check our hearts. Uh, and that's something that we need to, from the pastor all the way down to the youngest member in, in any congregation. If God is everything, then we know that he'll provide for our needs. Because he's a faithful father, right? And he's promised yeah. that. Uh, again, the parable of uh, do not that where Jesus calls the listeners of the Sermon on the Mount... Do not be anxious for nothing. And then he says, well, look at the birds of the sky. They do not sow. They do not reap. They do not gather into storehouses. And yet your Father in heaven provides for them every day. Then he says, uh, continuing, look at the lilies of the field. I tell you the truth that even Solomon in all his splendor, the richest king in Jewish history, uh, was not as beautifully adorned as these. That uh, There was two or three weeks ago I was super anxious. I literally saw that like three times it was on Emily's Brighton shirt even just that verse reference and I flipped over my Bible and that was like right there and I was like oh Lord <laughs> just even then he provided that verses just to remind me like hey Sydney stop <laughs> I got you that, yeah that, that's literally I got you that's basically what God wants us to understand trust me mm -hmm. I got you and now I want you, that that also opens to this whole idea of reconciliation the reason why even seasoned christians struggle with that is because the world is so broken that yeah. because of our relationships are tainted by that do you really got me yeah I, I, can i trust you mm. can i really trust that when the going gets hot and heavy when the the iron is ready to strike can i trust you to be there for me but see, we're looking at it from a very human perspective true. where God is, he's like, I died for you. I got you. Trust me. But we forget that. Oh, man. There's a song. I, I can't remember it, but it was like. You and I are always on the same boat. Then yeah. I couldn't remember the end to the, to the illustration well, on it's, Sunday. It's a. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if anyone in this church would listen to this artist. Uh, it's just a different artist. Um, but it's this song that says, "I don't live for myself anymore." And it was like, um, "If the Son of God could lay down His life, then who am I to hang on to mine?" And I was like, right. "Oh, that's a really good verse." Right. Yeah. All right. First question: Who came before God? So one of the things that the youth. Uh, probably still do and at the and uh, and at the time we're dealing with is this idea of who God is and so because of everything going on in the world they had these questions and so the 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 society around us not just divine but the world questions the veracity or the truth of God meaning is there such a person and in that some people who struggle with saying well I I do want to believe or I do believe but what came before him? Well, the Bible testifies that God is from everlasting to everlasting, meaning he has no beginning, he has no end. And to us, um, one of the things that we struggle with is that we are very finite. So we have an, an inside joke here in the office, right, since you started working with us. Oh. <laughs> we call them BSMs. 
Yeah. Those are before Sydney moments because Sydney, you were born what year? 2003. 2003. <laughs> I was born in 1988, Pastor Dan. In your sermon, you were like, I graduated high school in two. I was in high school in 2002, and I just wanted to yell, I wasn't even born. <laughs> right. Thank you for not yelling that in the middle of a Baptist church. <laughs> I was not going to. <laughs> but <laughs> coming back to the point, um, I was born in 88. Pastor Dan, I believe, was born in 84. And we have people who like our parents. You know, I don't, I don't know about Pastor Dan, but my dad was born in 1930, my mom in 1960. All of us have a time where our life begins. And because of the way that we are designed and affected by sin, we have a date upon which our life will end. And, you know, my dad died 2002. Uh, the very first week of the year. Um, I have uh, a wonderful mentor, my first pastor, who died in 2010, my uncle who died in, also in 2010 or 2008, actually. So we are finite, and we struggle to understand the concepts that are outside of the way we experience reality. So God was from way before, never having been created. That's what makes him God the fact that he is the supreme being, uncreated, unchanging, uh, untaught, uh, and unwanting, meaning he does not need anything from us. And so he, ha he is it. There's no one before him, or else he would not be God. So that's, I hope that that satisfies. I'm, what's crazy is when I was in philosophy in college, the thing that blew my mind is my entire concept of time mm -hmm. comes from God. Like God is not bound by time. And I was like, oh my gosh, wow. I know, right? Blows my mind. All right. And there's the next question. Okay. What does he, God, need us for? So I'm going to offend some folks and that's okay. Again, for any complaints, please Carlos at fbcdivine.org. Uh, God does not need anything from us. Uh, and for that, we can go back to the beginning of creation, as testified in Genesis, where he creates things by the sheer power of his word, right? There's light, the divide of, of matter and of like solid matter and space. Then we see where he begins to create the confines of the world where we live, where we he separates the firmament and, and there's water and there's now the sky. And then we see the separation of land and sea and the bodies are separated. And then we see how he begins to create the day and the night, like with sun and moon, and then he creates the stars, and now he gets into the creation of everything, right? So he created everything, and the crown jewel of creation is humanity, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. He said, good, 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 and then he gets to humanity, and he says, very good, like Adam and Eve, almost, almost like saying perfection, and then Satan did his thing. But that's a different, a different subject altogether. So God does not need anything from us. Rather, he has given all of these wonderful gifts to us. Like, for example, let's just think about this. The fact that you and I are breathing right now yeah. <laughs> is by his love, grace, and mercy. Because the Bible testifies that it is Christ Jesus who sustains all creation. That's a perpetual ministry of His. Why? Because, again, if we go back to John, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was there in the beginning, and through Him were all things created, right? So Jesus is sustaining our very breath right now, and because He sustains our ability to breathe in and out, what else is He sustaining? Our life. 
well, he sustains the the function mm -hmm. of your heart. He sustains the function of your brain. You don't have to think breathe. You don't have to think heart beat. You don't have to think of many multiple functions that happen in an instant just in your body. That's just in the body. Look beyond you. Um, he sustains the skies. He sustains the right distance between earth and the sun so that it's not too hot, it's not too cold, that we are not flying off into space or that we are collapsing into the sun. Um, he sustains all things in, in, the, in, the, in the notion that the sun still is orbiting around the Milky Way and the earth continues to rotate around the sun, giving us day and night. We have the moon that helps sustain the, the ability of water tides to come in, to come out. All of that is a ministry of Jesus sustaining life. So what would he need from us? What could we, let me ask you this question. What could we offer him that he would want that's not already his? Well, nothing besides just our worship and glory, just to praise him. Yeah, and so that's, and even in that, that's already his. Because yeah. remember, one of the fallacies that we have in the church is to say, well, Jesus, I make you my Lord, or Jesus, I make you my king. If you can make a king a king, then he's not king. Mm. If you can make a Lord a Lord, then he's not Lord. I don't, I don't know if I've ever thought about that. That's you, really interesting. That means that you are Lord, or you're trying to assume kingship. God owns everything. If he sustains your life, if he sustains where you live, if he sustains everything that makes it possible for us to do this, then truly the one thing that we can give him, which is already his because he created it, is our lives. Hmm. But in reality, he, he also owns that. The only thing is that, that whatever type of relationship uh, we happen to have in, in, in relation to him because of our sinfulness if we continue to rebel, and if we continue to say, my way is better than you, God, then we are an enemy of his grace. And for eternity, then, we will bend the knee, but we will bend the knee because we have been subjugated or we have been made to do so by the wrath of the Father. Whereas if we surrender to Christ because of his great love and mercy, then we bend the knee willingly because we know the measure of his love for us. Because we are his to begin with. And so he takes away the reproach of our sin. He takes away the reproach of our rebellion. And he welcomes us, even as Jesus shared with, taught, I should say, through the parable of the prodigal son. Where the father runs to meet the errant son. Where he goes and where his clothes were tattered. He gave him a brand new cloak and a brand new pair of sandals because shoes were expensive back then most people walked barefoot where Jesus where God where the father in the parable gives him new sandals he gives him a new robe he gives him a new belt he he gets him all cleaned up and not only that but then takes a signet ring and says here's the signet ring you are an official part of the family and you have decision making power within the family again mm. you have been welcomed back as a hope the father showed his love, but in reality, the life of the son was his to do with it as he pleased. But it was the reconciliation of the son, because he saw the error of his ways, that allowed him to come back. The father was waiting for the son all along. But it was the son saying, you know what, I've been a fool. 
I need to go back and make things right, even if I'm a servant. And the Father in His grace and love says, no, you're my son. Welcome back. Mm -hmm. So what can you give God? Nothing. He, you, you're His anyway. But he does, want to he does want you to enjoy Him forever as your only source of joy, hope, and the only source of everything good in your life eternally. Um, because again, the, the Father does not will that any should perish. But we in our rebellion are choosing to perish if we say there's no God or there may be a God, but I don't need, I don't care. Or, you know, so what? There's a God. I know better. Today is the day of salvation, not, not just on Sundays. But if God in the power of his Holy Spirit is leading you to confess your sins and leading you to surrender your life, please do so. Uh, I myself do not believe in the power of the of the sinner's prayer. I don't believe that that's something that the Bible teaches because a prayer cannot save you, but the Holy Spirit does save you. So if the Holy Spirit's leading you to to confess your sin to the Father and to then join yourself to a family of faith, find a church, find a pastor that will carry you through that, feed you and teach you the word and empower you to be a disciple maker yourself. And we will be praying for you, that you are the whole reason why we are doing these podcasts. Uh, Pastor Dan, myself, Sydney, and anyone else who comes here, our whole aim is that you will be touched, uh, reassured, and that we can just point you to Christ so that you can see the beauty and the magnificence of the one who died for you. That's reconciliation, that you were once an enemy, but really and truly, God wants you to be a son or daughter and to enjoy him forever. All right, joke. Okay. Um, I don't know if financer is a word, but who is the greatest female financer in the Bible? The greatest female financer in the Bible? Yep. Old Testament, New Testament? Old. Old Testament. We're actually trying. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to think. I'm probably going to get it wrong, but I know that there's probably a punchline. I don't know. Who is it? Pharaoh's daughter. Because she went to the bank of the Nile and threw a little prophet. <laughs> I'm Carlos Gardeño, and this is Sydney wow. Weil, and this is Disciple Life, the Bible and everyday life. Yes. We love y'all.